All right. So, here's where, where we're going to be going tonight. And I, I hope that you have been following the series up till now and sort of know where we're at. It's a lot to try to go back and, and rehash. But basically, there is a famine. The famine has now forced the sons of Jacob to come down to Egypt and basically be confronted with their brother that they do not know is their brother, who's now in a very high position as the governor of Egypt, to get grain and bread and supplies to take back to Canaan. While they are there, Joseph keeps back one of the brothers, Simeon, to basically find out if his brothers have changed any over the years since they have sold him into slavery, and if they can be trusted. And God is bringing Jacob's sons to their knees. The process of contrition has begun in order to bring about repentance, which will in turn bring about reconciliation of Joseph with his brothers. With that said, when you come to the end of chapter 42, as they come back to Jacob and begin emptying their sacks, in verse 35 it says, there was in each man's bag of money in his sack. Basically, they didn't have to pay for any of this. Joseph gave them back the money that they spent on this, uh, to them. And when they and their father saw the bags of money, they were afraid, filled with fear. And their father Jacob said to them, you are making me childless. Joseph is gone, Simeon is gone, and now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me because, remember, they came back and said, if we ever want to go back and get Simeon, We've got to take young Benjamin with us. What we see in chapters 42 and then into 43 is this. We see a change from fear to fellowship. The reason why Jacob and all of Jacob's sons are filled with fear all the time is because they're not obviously living by faith, but there's also something in that. And that is that they have forgotten or they've never really known the heart of their God. Because to truly know the heart of God and to be in fellowship with Him would actually chase away all of their fear. If they just knew the heart of God, they would never be afraid. Now that principle is true for us as well. The reason why God calls us to fellowship with Him, not just into a relationship with Him, to draw near to Him, to get to know Him and His heart, is because it is out of that intimate, deep acquaintance and fellowship that you and I get to know God on such a level that fear never enters and takes control of our life and our thoughts and our choices and our decisions and outlook and perspective or anything. And the same thing is true even from a little bit lesser perspective. 
And that is what we're going to see here tonight is that if Joseph's brothers would have truly known the heart of the one that was in charge, Joseph, they would have known that they had nothing to fear either. If they would have really known the heart of the governor of Egypt. That's one of the big things that we learn here because we see that Jacob, as we saw last week, and Jacob's sons are always afraid. They're always filled with fear. And I think this is such a timely message for us because so many Christians today who may have a relationship with God live in fear. They, they live in fear about what they see happening around them in the world and the direction that the world is going. They get upset. They're afraid. They don't know what to do. It's all out of their control. And it's because when we get to that place, we've lost sight of the one who's in charge, of the one who's in control, and the one who, if we truly knew his heart, we would know there's nothing to be afraid of. You see. And that's what we learn here tonight in this passage of Scripture. Because you'll notice, in Jacob's response, first of all, to his sons in verse 36, notice he says, you are making me childless. Notice that when, when pressure mounts on people, if they're not walking in faith, one of the things that we will do as a human being is we will start to shift the blame and start to blame others for our predicament instead of taking any responsibility for ourselves. Jacob was good at that. And I'm not saying that Jacob's sons had no responsibility in the mess that they were in. They did. But it wasn't all their responsibility. Remember, Jacob was the one who showed favoritism. Jacob was the one who had children by this woman, this woman, this woman, and this woman. And was going to cause a lot of, you know, dysfunction in his family. So this is a man who had some responsibility for what was going on, but instead of taking that responsibility and accepting it, he points the finger at his son and said, it's your fault that we're in this predicament, and it's your fault that I'm childless. And notice this statement of faithlessness at the end of verse 36. Everything is against me. Again, that's a statement of someone who is not in fellowship with their God. And we know Jacob knew God. Remember, Jacob's sons are going to end up being the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel. Jacob knew God. But he had drifted away from God, as we've been talking about even through our study of the book of Hebrews. And he's no longer really in fellowship with God. Because he's not walking in faith. And he has this very pessimistic, negative perspective on everything that just clouds everything that he sees and everything that happens to him. Everything is against me. And yet when you think about what was happening here in the big picture, God is actually working all these things together for the good of Jacob. He would soon realize God's blessing in his life, but he's lost sight of it. 
Because he's not walking with God every day. He's not in fellowship with God. He may have a relationship with God, but a relationship alone, just on itself, without fellowship, isn't going to give us the perspective and the attitude that we need and the outlook that we need to face our days, especially when we do go through adversity like Jacob and his family was going through. Then Reuben said to his father, you may put my two sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. Put him or entrust him into my care and I will bring him back to you. But Jacob replied, my son will not go down there with you. For his brother is dead, thinking Joseph is dead, and he alone is left. If an accident, again, Jacob was fearful because he lived by the what-ifs. We talked about that last week. What if this happens? What if that happens? Those are words of faithless, fearful people. God does not want us to live by the what-ifs of life. He wants us to live by faith in Him. And so Jacob replies, if an accident happens to him on the journey, you have to make, then you will bring me down to my grave or literally my gray hair and sorrow to the grave. And we even said last week, while adversity drew Joseph closer to God, adversity actually distanced Jacob from his God and caused him to get to a really bad place. It shows how you can have two people, again, who may know God, but who respond in quite different ways. Joseph grew stronger, became a leader, really the leader of his family. And Jacob became someone who became very faithless, very negative, very pessimistic, and very fearful. And by the way, what we are reminded of here is that Fear is costly to us. Jacob's fear was costly. First of all, he delayed in sending his sons back to Egypt for more supplies. And because of that, then we read in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 43, now the famine was still severe in the land. I'm sure Jacob, like a lot of, you know, people, praying, God, lift the famine. Lift the famine. And when God didn't lift the famine, because God had purpose in not lifting the famine, again, Jacob was probably, well, God doesn't answer my prayers, and God doesn't love me, and, and God is against me, and, you know, all of that. And yet, because he wasn't walking by faith, he couldn't see that the very famine that he was probably cursing was the very tool and instrument that was actually going to bring blessing and reconciliation to Jacob and his family. See, that's why it's so important that we walk by faith, because the same circumstance can be looked at two different ways. And the Bible says in verse 2 of chapter 43, when they finished eating the grain that had been brought from Egypt, then their father finally said to them, return and buy us a little more food. He waits because his fear is costly. He waits till they run out and then sends his sons back to Egypt because he's forced to. And think about that. This wasn't going to be a quick trip into something like the quick trip. It was going to take Joseph's sons a little while to get down to Egypt, meet with Joseph, 
get the grain and supplies they needed, and get back. So he was putting his family in jeopardy through his fear. Fear is costly. Another way his fear was costly is, notice, he prolonged the imprisonment of his son Simeon. Remember, his son Simeon sitting down there in prison in Egypt until they get back with Benjamin. So, because he was so afraid, Simeon, his son, is suffering longer than he would have had to have been. And then finally, he also delayed the miraculous and joyful reunion with his own son Joseph that he still didn't know he had. Because if he would have been living by faith, He would have seen the hand of God in these events and he would have believed in God and trusted in God to work things out for good to those who love him. But Jacob wasn't in a good place. And so this wonderful reunion that God was going to bring about had to be delayed because of Jacob's fear. My friends, this is part of why God says I don't want my children to live in fear. This is why Paul told Timothy, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. Because God understands how costly fear is. Because many times, like in Jacob's case, we will hesitate or delay to do things that we should do. And in actuality, we're delaying even the blessings maybe that God has for us on the other side simply because we're too afraid to act and trust and believe in God. In fact, Judah makes this point over in chapter 43, verse 10, when he tells his father, if we had not delayed, we could have traveled there and back twice by now. Hesitant, fearful. This was Jacob. And can I say this too? An important principle or point here in this passage. One of the big reasons why Jacob's sons lived in fear is because they saw it modeled by their father. And you and I, as parents, you and I, as Christians, you and I, as leaders, we have a responsibility because there are people who are watching us. And there are people that take their cue from us. And therefore, the things that we struggle with can end up being something that our children, our grandchildren, our friends, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, maybe even people that don't even know God, struggle with because we're not... We're not setting a good example to them. And Jacob, because he lived in fear at this point in his life, I think it was one of the great reasons why his sons were living in fear. So then back up to chapter 43. So you can see how costly fear is. In fact, notice in verse 2, I I love this, Jacob is still, remember Jacob's nickname in Genesis was deceiver, manipulator. And he's still trying to be in control of something that he really has no control. That's the way people like Jacob are. They they try to figure out and manipulate things even though they're really not in control to sort of again because they're fearful. 
So Jacob says, well, okay, go down and buy a little more food. And don't miss the word little. That's a big word. Why would we just buy a little? First of all, it's really a bad famine. It's lasted a long time. If we're going to make this trip, let's buy a ton. Let's, let's go to, to the Egyptian Costco and make sure that we get it all back. Right? Well, here, here's why he responded that way. Because again, in Jacob's mind, well, if, if my sons only go before this governor and only ask for a little, maybe he'll release Simeon and maybe he'll be okay with me not sending Benjamin. See, because I'm not asking him for too much, maybe he'll... See, again, in Jacob's mind, like a lot of us, you know, I'm still trying to work the system. I, I still, I'm still not really trusting in God and resting in God and just believing in God. I'm still trying to, I'm still trying to play the shell game and working things out here. And who steps up at this point in verse 3? Judah. And this is significant because up to this point in the book of Genesis, Judah has made one bad sinful decision after another. But what this is going to show is that through the severity and grace of God working in his life, God is transforming Judah. Because God specializes in character transformation. God is great at being able to take people and to change them, because only God can do it. And Judah is now becoming a different person than he was up to this point in his life. And why is that significant? Why is his leadership, out of all Jacob's sons, why is this significant? Because he was going to be the blessed tribe of the twelve. What tribe was Jesus from? The lion of the tribe of Judah. Judah had to get his act together. And Judah was getting his act together. He was now, in a sense, the spiritual... Since Joseph was in Egypt, Judah was now becoming the spiritual leader of the family. Notice, Jacob the father wasn't a spiritual leader at this point. Judah had more spiritual insight and sensitivity to the situation than his own father Jacob had. So Judah said to him, The man solemnly warned us, You will not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, we'll go down and buy food for you. But if you will not send him, we won't go down there because the man said to us, You will not see my face until your brother is with you. And again, Israel or Jacob says, Why did you bring this trouble on me? It's your fault. I'm putting, pointing my finger at you. I'm not taking any responsibility. And I love this. By telling the man you had one more brother. Notice something here. Jacob is upset at his, at his sons for telling the truth. Because remember, Jacob is what? A deceiver. <laughs> Jacob is someone that's a little on the dishonest side. Jacob would have probably lied. So he's upset that his sons responded with the truth. They replied, verse 7, but the man questioned us thoroughly, literally inquired extensively about ourselves and our family, saying, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? So we answered him in this way. How could we possibly know that 
he would say, bring your brother down. We were actually being honest for once in our lives. Then Judah said to his father Israel, send the boy with me and we will go immediately. Then we will live and not die. We and you and our little ones. Notice something here. Notice the contrast between chapter 43, verse 8 of Judah's response and back to chapter 42 and verse uh, 36, Jacob's response. Notice in chapter 42, verse 36, that Jacob is all about himself. Their father, Jacob, said to them, you are making me childless. Joseph is gone. Simeon is gone. Now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. If you read everything that Jacob talks about in these chapters, it's always with the personal pronoun me, my, or I. Because that's what he's concerned about. But notice over in chapter 43, verse 8, Judah is now seeing that it's not about me. It's about us. And he's now beginning to realize the bond that he needs to have with others around him. And that he needs to not just be concerned about himself, but about others. And that's why he uses we, 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 and our in verse 8 of chapter 43. Totally different perspective. And then I love this. In verse 9, he says, I myself pledge security for him. This is a beautiful word, or words. It literally comes from the word that means to braid. In other words, what, what Judah is realizing here by God working in his life is that he is braided together and knit together and joined together with his family. And what affects one affects them all. Oh, if he would have had that perspective back with Joseph, but he didn't. But it does show he's changing. God is transforming him. Even though he only cared about himself, now he realizes we're connected. In fact, he goes on to even say, I'll be the substitute. If I do not bring him back to you and, play, and place him before you, I will bear the blame. It means to incur guilt, incur the penalty of sin, to forfeit my own life. Basically, I'll lay down my life for him. Greater love has no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his brother. That's exactly what Judah's language is expressing here. I'll give up myself. Again, think of, think of the contrast between the way they were talking and the way Judah was talking back with Joseph, he was the one who had the idea to sell him into slavery. And now the change in Judah that we see here. Verse 11, Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Notice now where Jacob has come. God has basically forced Jacob to have to make this decision. Jacob has come to the end of his plans and must simply trust God. Because there really is no other, there is no other way. And, and what's, what's so great about this is you and I can relate with this. How many times in our life do we try to run through all of our plans and they all fail and we're finally forced to just simply trust God. Instead of just trusting God from the very beginning. 
And what God is trying to get us to see is, you know, it would have been a lot easier for you if you had just simply rested and trusted in me at the beginning and not tried to roll through all your plans because they were all going to fail anyway. And I was going to force you to have to trust me because there was going to be no other way. And so in a sense, Jacob is just quietly resigning himself to what has to happen. But again, his perspective still isn't there because he thinks, I got to do this, but it's all going to turn out bad. Instead of realizing if he'd have been walking with God and walking in faith, that again, this very famine and the idea of his brothers and sons going back down there and interacting with Joseph was actually going to bring greater blessing to Jacob than he could ever imagine and was going to bring reconciliation and restoration to his entire family. But when you and I don't walk by faith, that's not how we look at the circumstances of our life. So he says, Take some of the best products of the land in your bags. Take a gift down to the man. A little balm, a little honey, spices and myrrh. Some pistachios and almonds. Sounds pretty good. little care package, if you will, for Joseph. Take double the money with you. You must take back the money that was returned in the mouths of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take your brother too and go right away to the man. And then notice verse 14. May the sovereign God grant you mercy before the man so that he may release your brother Simeon and not detain Benjamin. As for me, if I lose my children, I lose them. In the Hebrew language, this phrase, though a little bit different in wording, but very similar, is going to be repeated hundreds of years later in the book of Esther, where Esther says, If I perish, I perish. It's not really a statement of faith in the Hebrew language. It's more just a resignation of, well, I'm sort of, this is is what I'm forced to do, so we'll just do it and see what happens. There's really no confidence, conviction, faith, belief, or trust in these kind of statements. It's just, it's the way it is. And yet, notice that Jacob refers in verse 14 to God as the sovereign God, the Almighty, in the Hebrew, El Shaddai. Which, by the way, is usually used in the book of Genesis only in desperate situations. I recognize you and acknowledge you as the Almighty El Shaddai God. Yet I don't trust you. And that's where we see a big disconnect sometimes between what we know in our head and what we believe in our heart. Sometimes for us, especially as Christians, especially Bible-believing Christians where we get the Word and we get it into our head, the problem is not in our head, the problem is in our heart. I love what Jesus said to the two disciples on the road to to Emmaus after His resurrection when He said this phrase to them, O slow of heart to believe... He didn't say you have a problem with your head knowledge. He said you got a problem with your heart. Because your head knows these things, but your heart, which is sort of the center of, of our will and our determination and all of that, isn't, isn't making the connection. And we see that here with Jacob. He's acknowledging that God is almighty and yet, He doesn't trust him. 
He doesn't believe that the almighty God can take care of him and his family. So the men took these gifts, took double the money with them along with Benjamin. They hurried down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the servant who was over his household, bring the men to the house, slaughter an animal and prepare it for the men will eat with me at noon. And remember, meals in this day weren't just about consuming food. It was about fellowship. Think about it. The governor of Egypt is going to fellowship, wants to sit down to a meal with us. But the men were afraid, filled with fear when they were brought to Joseph's house. They thought they were going to be there, go there and be executed. They said, we're being brought in because of the money that was returned in our sacks last time. He wants to capture us, make us slaves, take our donkeys. So they approached the man who was in charge of Joseph's household and spoke to him at the entrance to the house. They basically recounted, my Lord, we did indeed come the first time to buy food. But when we came to the place where we spent the night, we opened our sacks and each of us found his money, the full amount. Again, they're guilt. They feel guilty. So we've returned it. We brought even additional money with us to buy food. We don't know who put the money in our sacks. And I love the servant's response in verse 23. Everything is fine. Relax. Literally in the Hebrew, it's the word shalom. Peace. Everything's okay. Don't sweat it. Why was the one in charge of Joseph's household household able to say these words to Joseph's brothers? Because he knew the heart of the one in charge. And I have a feeling that because he was working so closely with Joseph, that the faith that Joseph had and the relationship that Joseph had with his God was rubbing off on this servant. He says to them, don't be afraid. Notice what he says to them. Your God Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I love this. The word means hidden riches. God has hidden riches for his people if we will walk by faith rather than in fear. But so many times we miss the hidden treasure because our fear prevents us from seeing the treasure that God has for us right in front of our eyes. He says to them, I had your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. Again, from fear to fellowship. How can I go from fear to fellowship? And why is that so important? Because as I fellowship with God, as I get to know my God and I know his heart, I know there's nothing to fear. And if the brothers would have known who was really in charge in Egypt and who the governor of Egypt was, they wouldn't have been afraid. Because they would have known the heart of their brother. And how even in spite of all that they had done to their brother up to this point in his life, their brother still loved them. And still wanted to reconcile with them. And wanted what was best for them. So the servant in charge brought the men into Joseph's house. He gave them water, they washed their feet, he gave food to their donkeys, and they got their gifts ready for Joseph's arrival at noon, for they had heard that they were to have a meal there, a fellowship meal. They were going to sit down with the governor of Egypt. What a privilege! I couldn't help but think to myself, God invites us to his banquet table every day to fellowship with him. 
When Joseph came home, verse 26, they presented him with the gifts they had brought inside and they bowed down. There again is fulfillment of the prophecy to the ground before him. He asked them how they were doing. Then he said, is your aging father well? The one you spoke about, is he still alive? Your servant, our father is well, they replied. He is still alive. And they bowed down in humility. Notice something big that took place there. Notice that for Jacob and for Jacob's sons, it was all about the gift. And notice that Joseph doesn't even mention the gift. Why? Because Joseph really isn't concerned about the gift. Joseph cares about people. And he's more focused on people than he is these gifts. It's sort of a similar thing to how people want sometime, they, they, they want to present God with their works. And say, God, here's all my wonderful works. And what God really wants, He doesn't want our good works. He wants us. He wants a relationship with us. And yet we try to somehow uh, bypass this precious relationship with things that we can offer God out of ourselves. And all God really wants is us. That's what was happening here. All Joseph... The greatest gift Joseph could have had was a good relationship with his brothers. It's not that he was unappreciative of the gift, but that wasn't his priority. That wasn't his focus. He didn't care about material things. He cared about people, which is why God gave him the leadership position that he did, so that Joseph would not serve himself, but would serve others. And then I love this. When Jacob looked up and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, he said, is this your youngest brother whom you told me about? Remember, it's been at least 25 years since he's seen his brother. And they said, then he said, may God be gracious to you, my son. And then the Bible says, Joseph hurried out for he was overcome by affection for his brother and was at the point of tears. So he went to his room and wept there. And and the word wept here means to sob. It means to wail. He let out some emotion. Then he washed his face and came out and with composure said, set out the food. I'll close with this point and we'll pick it up there next week. And this is important. Two things here. First of all, it's okay to be emotional. It's okay to show emotion. Men, it's okay to weep and to be emotional. God made us emotional. But here's the thing. Though we don't want to suppress our emotions, what we also see here is, but we cannot allow our emotions to dictate our decisions. Because too often our emotions will get in the way of the decisions that we need to make that are best. And so our emotions always have to be in control. And we have to be primarily led as believers in Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit and by the Word of God, not driven by our emotions. Because our emotions will prevent us, if we let them rule, from doing some of the things and making some of the hard decisions and dealing with things, especially with people close to us that really need to be dealt with because there's emotions that that is getting in the way. And that's what we see happening here. Joseph was emotional. 
And there's not a thing wrong with that. But Joseph could not allow his emotions to dictate what he was about to do next. Because there were some important things that still needed to be dealt with. And if he let his emotions get in the way, he would have never made some of the tough love decisions that needed to still be made to bring his brothers further along as they needed to be. That's an important principle for us. There's a time and place to show our emotions and let our emotions out. But we must make sure, as believers in Jesus Christ especially, that the choices and decisions we make aren't primarily being driven by our emotions. Because, as I said, our emotions will cloud the issue and will prevent us from doing sometimes the the very tough thing that needs to be done, you see. And we've all been put in that position probably at times in our life. And sometimes we've probably made the right decision because we did not primarily make an emotional decision. And sometimes our emotions got the best of us and we went ahead and made a decision that later on we probably regret it. And so that's why we see here that after Joseph let it out, he then got control of himself because there was still some business to take care of. Now the cool thing here is that what we see at the end of chapter 43, even though they don't know that the governor of Egypt is really their long-lost brother that they sold into slavery, that they're getting ready to sit down at the table of the governor of Egypt and fellowship with them. And if they would have just known the heart of him all along, they would have never been afraid of all the things that were happening. It was because they didn't know the heart of the one in charge that their hearts were filled with fear. It was because Jacob, their father, had lost sight of the heart of God in his life that he lived his life in fear rather than in faith. And what these chapters we've looked at tonight simply teach us is that if we want to move from fear to faith and move from fear out of fear to faith, that process happens when we get to know the heart of our God and who He really is. Because if we really knew the heart of God and how much God loves us and how much He cares for us, we would never fear a thing. Let's pray. God, we acknowledge that we live in a world of fear. And that fear, God, even creeps into our lives as your children. And we confess that, God, as sin. Because we know, God, that that fear really comes from forgetting your heart, who you are, and how much we are loved and adored by you. And so God, I pray tonight that if this chapter doesn't inspire or motivate anything else in our lives, that it would inspire and motivate us to just continue to get to know the heart of our God.
to know you on such a level, to be so thoroughly acquainted with you, God, that we just trust you because we know you that well and we believe in you. And we know, God, that you are watching us all the time and watching over us and that you've got our best interest always in mind. And God, that if you allow something or cause something to come into our life that may even be adverse, help us not to look at it in such a negative, critical way like Jacob. Help us to see, God, that this may actually turn out to be quite a blessing for us that is just in disguise at this point because it's not been fully unveiled or revealed to us. Help us to, again, claim that you will work all things together for good to those who love you and are called according to your purpose. God, we know the world is filled with fear. But so that we may provide a distinction between Christ's followers and the people of this world. May we be people of faith. May we not walk through life in fear. May we show others who you are by trusting in you and believing in you and placing our confidence in you. Take away our fear, God. We lay it at your feet and ask you, God, to fill us with faith. Bless these folks who've come out tonight, Lord. And God, we bless you tonight as one who has watched over this ministry from the day we started, who has blessed us more than we could ever imagine and who has now opened up and entrusted this body of believers with a location, a place that will be our permanent footprint in this East Valley for years to come. And God, we thank you for entrusting us with this. And we pray, God, that we will be faithful to you. And that, God, this body of believers will continue to be a light for you in this community. Use us, God, to draw people to yourself through this ministry. Help us all to be lights so that we may light you up in this world. Because this world desperately needs you. And a clear picture of who you are. And God, sometimes that picture only comes through us and other people's lives. So help us follow you so faithfully that others can clearly see who you are through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you on Sunday. By the way, Sunday is communion. So it's going to be a great Sunday. Hope to see you there.